0: You know, I'm an engineer, I'm not a businessman. So everything I do is uh, investment in stuff that is, you know, hundred times better than anything else in the market. So I've been educated that way to always think out of the box, always challenge whatever is the norm, and try to see if there is another way. I think schools are totally, totally, totally broken. They need to be completely reinvented. And it will happen super fast. World Economic Forum says the largest company uh, in the next 10 years will be an education company, and and I really believe that. So I I think, um, you know, it's going to be 180 degrees different. People cannot imagine that whatever we discovered in medicine in the last 100 years, we're going to discover more and change more in the next 10 years. And, and, and that's absolutely impossible for, I would say, 90% of the human race to imagine that. And, and it's uh, very, very difficult even for me uh, to imagine that. And I have to work on it every day to you know, open my thinking and, and imagine how it's going to look like in 10 years or how fast autonomous cars are going to take over cities and, and autonomous drones are overtaking deliveries and stuff like this. Well, if there's one thing I could ask for is really let's make Switzerland the crypto capital of the world.
1: You've just heard some of the amazing things we talked about in this episode of the Sparker podcast featuring the very successful business angel Daniel Gutenberg, who's been investing in numerous unicorns very early on. We talked about his investing process, way of thinking, and his views about the future. My name is Christian Lundsgaard. This is the Sparker podcast. And as always, please enjoy this exciting conversation with Daniel Gutenberg. Daniel. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And um, today we're going to talk about um, how you approach risk or uncertainty as a business angel, but also how you think about um, the future regarding what kind of skills or mindsets are especially um, qualified to to make people future-proof, so to speak. So I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts. But before we jump right in, uh, I know from other meetings we talked before, I know that you have a very uh, exciting, let's say, origin story, how you became uh, a business angel. You were uh, an entrepreneur, you um, then became a business angel. What were like the um, important steps that uh, made you become a business angel? So, well, um, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a privilege.
0: Um, I, I started uh, as an entrepreneur um, I had uh, several companies and my uh, most important company that I started in 91 was importing goods from um, different countries uh, and one of the best sellers was a portable hard disk that I was importing from the US and selling in Switzerland to mainly uh, dealers and, and distributors. Um, that was quite a long time ago. People wanted to upgrade to Windows 3.0. They needed more space. And, uh, and I had this hard disk that you could connect to the um, printer ports. So it was a great business. I uh, started to order more and more of those hard disks from my uh, U.S. connection. Started to print leaflets and to uh, build up a support team and 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 to spend quite some money into the marketing, um, uh, and everything was was doing great. When one day my uh, connection said that he couldn't deliver to me anymore because he was bankrupt, and I was really really surprised because uh, numbers were so good on our side, and in my head I thought I was doing one or two or three percent of his worldwide turnover, uh, and I really thought that was totally in- insignificant to him. So the next day I took an airplane, flew to the States, uh, met the guy, and uh, and uh, and then he told me, you know, Daniel, you were doing like 80, 90% of my turnover. It just wasn't sustainable for my factory. Uh, I need a lot more uh, turnover. So I realized I didn't know nothing about either the guy or the company. And uh, I realized that I made a big mistake. So I uh, swore to myself that whatever company I'm going to partner with, I'm going to buy at least one share. So I get at the end of the year, I get uh, uh, the numbers of the report of the company. And so I bought uh, a share or two shares, um, I a mean, few shares of uh, the next three companies I was dealing with. And, uh, and this was uh, Netscape, Intershop, and Netscreen. And they all became multi-billion dollar companies. But, but first of, first and foremost, I became the distributor, doing good business with them, and, uh, and did the same with, with many other companies um, that I was distributing in Switzerland. And then later I opened offices in several other countries in Europe. And I ended up uh, Selling the company in the year 2000, um, and I know we're going to talk about luck later. Um, the year in the beginning of 2000, uh, where the markets were still good, uh, just before the big crash, um, uh, I sold my company to a Belgium uh, public company and um, worked as a CEO for this company for a while. But then when I left, um, all I had left was shares, a few shares of a few startups that suddenly became in most cases very valuable. So that's when I decided to go into the uh, business angel business. Uh, actually first I even became a venture capitalist uh, working for a Swiss uh, fund that uh, invests only in Swiss startups. Um, and, uh, and at the same time became a global, uh, business angel, um, because I learned how to, how to manage or how to, yeah, how, how to become a, a successful business angel in those years where I had all those dealers, uh, dealing with all those startups because, uh, all the, you have to imagine all the, all my customers, because I sold to them Netscape uh, everybody that needed netscape as a dealer was was a startup uh, at that time those are all the 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 guys that went for the uh, gold like the gold diggers in in uh, uh, in last centuries those guys were going for the internet gold and i was delivering the shovels to them as a distributor of uh, Alta Vista, netscape oracle and all those tools that you needed uh, the firewalls and all the tools that you needed for this uh Internet gold rush.
1: You were like a facilitator for this gold rush to happen, when I understand correctly. It sounds like you delivered um, all the goods that they needed.
0: Exactly. It was pretty much a one-stop shop
1: for all the tools that you needed to uh, uh, to become an internet entrepreneur. And did that happen by coincidence, or was this kind of a master plan that you had in mind to put yourself <laughs> in that position? No no there was no such
0: thing as a master plan i was uh uh, i was at the right place at the right time i read an article um in a in a in a paper about netscape um and uh and i wrote them a letter and i said hey i would like to be your distributor uh in europe and um they were such a small company at the time they said yeah sure i mean why not we can use a few more sales and, uh, and within no time, this was uh, became a big deal. Uh, everybody wanted to um, have some Netscape licenses. They were for free at the time, but if you uh, if you used it commercially, then you needed to pay for it. So it was kind of a license to print money. Yeah. Uh, so people call me up and say, "We already use Netscape, but uh, to be legal, we need to pay for it." Mm-hmm. So I would send them a bill. which was great. But then on top of that, it even became better because then when the new companies came around, uh, like InterShop and AltaVista and and all those uh, new bigger startups, the first thing they would do for distribution is look up who is the Netscape distributor. And then they would call me and say, don't you want to also distribute AltaVista and all these other companies? And uh, in many cases, we said, yes, why not? I I did my choice there, but... Uh, so because of this Netscape deal, uh, all the others followed.
1: That's um, what I love about this story. There are many great aspects to it, but what I love about it is that you you um, informed yourself, you believed to see uh, an opportunity, you took action, and um, then this whole um, success story um, evolved around this first initial um, rather small action of writing a letter to a, to a small company overseas. That's, um, uh, I like that a lot. And it also already, like, um, uh, told, uh, that luck or, um, coincidence plays a large role in, in your undertakings. And, uh, recently when we talked about, um, what is going on, what you're up to, uh, you mentioned, uh, the startup mobile eye which uh, became pretty famous uh, in the last couple of months because Intel bought them for a significant amount. Can you um, tell us how this connection, this deal came about that you uh, get to know Mobileye?
0: So, yes, this was a total coincidence. Um, my brother went with his mobile home to a trip to Greece. Uh, so he drove down to Italy from Switzerland and uh, embarked on a ferry boat to Greece and with his mobile home and, um, and the next mobile home over, um, was the two founders of, uh, of mobile. Uh, and that was 17 years ago. So I was in the year 2000, I, uh, just sold my company. Uh, so I just started to become more, uh, serious about being a business angel. And, um, and, and, and nobody, I mean, nobody even, uh, remotely was thinking about autonomous driving cars. Um, but those guys were, and they had the technology they could, they could, um, map 3d information out of 2d images. So you you could take a, a picture or actually a film and, and, and then, uh, uh, with some algorithms that they had uh, developed, uh, to, you know, make 3D out, information out of that. So he was impressed and uh, he told them that he has a brother that invests in startups. Uh, they decided to come and visit me in Zurich. And, uh, and the uh, Amnon, the professor, uh, explained to me in some very easy terms that uh, it's no problem to drive uh, even with one eye, and that everybody is developing in a wrong or too costly uh, way um, their stuff. So what everybody else in the market was thinking is to know the distance from the next car, uh, to be sure of the distance, you need a laser or you need a radar, uh, or maybe you need even both, or or you need two cameras uh, to do the 3D information.
1: That's how all the Google cars look. Like they have all
0: these lasers, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So they have lidar and everything, and they have seventy thousand dollars worth of electronics uh, to make sure that they can see the road exactly. And and uh, and that doesn't make sense because nobody's going to buy a car where already the electronics cost seventy thousand. And then even if you go into mass production, it only costs half. Nobody's going to buy a car which has electronics for 35000 And I really think uh, everybody made a big mistake, a thinking mistake. And, 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 and Amnon said, it's no problem at all. We have one camera. We have algorithms. We take everything out of the picture. Give me uh, some money. I'll make you a $1 billion company within three years. Uh, and within three years, we'll have that in the cars, uh, not for fully autonomous driving cars, but at least, you know, to keep the distance uh, between the car in front of you. And, and if there is an accident or something like this, we can do automatic braking and stuff like this. Keep your car in the lane. And um, so I told him, well, it's never going to happen, but I'm very happy if it's a $300 million company. And, um, and so I invested. And what we did know is um, the technology at that time was too uh, complicated for, uh, for the processors. And we were op- hoping that the processors three years down the road would be fast enough so we can do real-time driving, calculating, measuring the distances. And, and it didn't happen. It took like seven years until the first processors that actually Intel made only for us uh, we're fast enough to do these calculations. So it took much, much, much longer than we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we were the only ones going in this direction. And we could sell a product for around about $100 to the car manufacturers, uh, which you can never, ever achieve if you have two cameras, because you have to, uh, you know, uh, talk to both cameras or, or to a radar or a LIDAR or, and, and, and all the processors capabilities that you need to uh, synchronize all the information makes it so much more expensive than what we do with just one camera. So still today we have, um, you know, 80, more than, much more than 80% world market share That's for this kind of installation.
1: There's so many interesting aspects in, this sto- in that story, I think. it's um, uh, One is like, there are these guys with a vision and you have... There are so many assumptions involved with it or uncertainty involved with it if they actually succeed. But if they succeed, it's going to be a huge deal. And I believe to remember that you once said that this is kind of your approach to, to look at business opportunities, to look um, uh, if, if it sounds almost impossible, that's kind of fine with you uh, as long as in the end um, the benefits are huge. Is that um, yeah, summarizing? Exactly right. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I don't. Uh, I'm not a. You know, I'm an engineer, I'm not a businessman, mm-hmm. so I'm not good at calculating percentages and margins and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So everything I do is uh, investment in stuff that is, you know, hundred times better than anything else in the market. Um, so I have no risk at all. Once I mean, we, when we have the product that we want to have. Mm-hmm. And you're hundred times better than everybody else. There's no risk. Everybody's gonna want it. Everybody's gonna buy it. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, and I won't have to calculate any margins. Mm-hmm. Um, the only risk is that we never succeed. I mean that the yeah. processors never get fast enough that yeah. you can actually real time use, you know, the camera stream to 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 drive around and stuff like this. So then, of course, you lose it. Usually. I mean, unless you can use it for some other applications, then you would lose all your investment. Uh, so that's the risk I'm, I'm ready to take. But I'm, I'm not ready to, uh, to to do that uh, if there is going to be competitors that can lower the price that already own the market or politically uh, can do something uh, about it. And, uh, and that's one thing that uh, Peter Thiel in his book Zero to One explains very nice. Uh, you actually, as a venture capitalist, you always want to be invested in a company where there's no competitors. Yeah. Because competition is, is for losers. I think that's one of his sentences, <laughs> absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I never knew that, but I think like this too, since I read his book. <laughs> yeah. So you're a contrarian, basically, as um, Peter Thiel likes to call himself.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm um, um, always, I've been educated that way to always think out of the box, always challenge whatever mm-hmm. is the
1: norm and, 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 and try to see if there is another way. And um, who has educated you that way? Was it um, traditional education or was it uh, a mentor or just a, a figure that you looked up to? How did that come about?
0: I don't know. I guess that's my character. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> Probably
0: grew up with it. Or I don't know. It's... Uh, um, it's, it's quite a normal, um, uh, normal way of thinking in, in, in where I grew up. Yeah.
1: Okay. And, um, so you already, uh, with, um, the story of Mobileye and Netscape and everything, um, uh, I guess it's sure to say that luck and coincidence plays a huge role in, In the way you do business, meeting the right people or being at the right place at the right time and everything. Um, Would you agree with that or do you have another take on it? (laughs) Well, uh,
0: there's two things. I think I always say uh, like like Tiger Woodson's, you know, the the more I train, the luckier I get. Yeah. Um, So I do train a lot. Uh, and 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 I uh, and one example of that is I would always before the internet I would always go to Comdex and to uh, CBIT, the two largest uh, uh, electronics conferences, and uh, I would not only go there and and just stroll around uh, to find some companies by luck, I I would like prepare for days in advance and look at all the plans of all the halls. Mm-hmm. And then go and visit, and then have a list of companies that I want to see. Mm-hmm. But also, I would walk through every single booth that there is in the whole exhibition, and those are huge exhibitions. Yeah. So yeah, I would really, absolutely. I would really walk through um, fast. And uh, and and my credo always was: if I don't understand it within 30 seconds, what they sell, I'm not interested anyway because uh, it's going to be very hard so that's one thing so where i think uh, you know I, I try to have a huge deal flow also now as a as a venture capitalist and i look at every single business plan and there are about 500 every year so that i look at at, uh, at personally uh, uh before i make my decision for my five investments that i do every year mm-hmm. uh and the other thing is um I, i'm just a positive thinking guy so when I, you know, drive into town, um, people would sometimes say, you know, it's going to be impossible to find a parking spot. I always say the opposite. I'm sure I'll find a parking spot just yeah. in front of the door. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I really think that this kind of thinking can help you.
1: Absolutely. And, and
0: I'm I'm I'm. I'm born that way. I always think
1: uh, the glass is half full instead of half empty. You look for opportunities instead of um, issues that could stand in the way. Absolutely. <laughs> we have a little phone call incoming, so we are just going to wait that out, I would say. Yeah, Here we it. go. Positive <laughs> <That's right>. thinking. <laughs> it helped already. Um, but, uh, you already mentioned now that um, that's uh, that has been a point that I wanted to go towards to, which is you get hundreds of business proposals every year. You say 500, and you have to break it down to five that you um, will invest in. And you already uh, said that um, uh, it's important to you that the message of the companies uh, has to be very clear and very simple, and easy to understand. Um, uh, what other aspects in addition to that um, uh are part of your selection process has there been like a in quote unquote a winning formula how you break down all these proposals to the to the best ones uh yeah so so the first thing i do is i i really
0: encourage anybody and everybody to send me their ideas because uh you never know from which corner and in what field uh the next mobili is coming so I really try to have a maximum uh, inflow, um, but then also, of course, I'm trying to uh, be extremely fast in in uh, in kicking out um, stuff that doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm.
1: So how um, do you manage that? What's like? What are the killing uh, <laughs> points that you say when I see this, they're out. <laughs> um, it's
0: a it's it's like. There must be at least you know thirty factors that play a role in the first ten seconds that I look uh, uh, at a business plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it 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 will be too long of a list to uh, uh, to mention here. But but what I can say is that I mean many business plans already fall out because uh, of um, I mean if they have already in the in the introductory letter. In the introductory email already is full of uh, grammatical errors. Uh, That happens sometimes. So that's within, you know, less than three seconds, I can say, okay, I'm not interested. Uh, If for such an important matter, the startup is is not, you know, trying to to be maximum, uh, to make the maximum good uh, uh, impression. Exactly. uh, and then the second thing is also the, the way they uh... <laughs> I mean that's a very easy thing if if if, if people write me you know uh, great achievement we have incorporated the company and the incorporation number is this and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I realize okay I mean if that's already a great achievement I'm um, yes. I, I don't think they will be able to make a unicorn or a billion dollar company because that's that's such a small achievement in comparison
1: to whatever everything else that you yeah. need
0: to do <laughs> and, it,
1: and it also kind of that's my interpretation it kind of hints to that those people are more about having a company and being a CEO instead of actually tackling an issue absolutely okay absolutely so um so, yeah,
0: I, I mean, you have to, yeah, there, there's, yeah, like I said, there's like 30 parameters and I try to be extremely quick. If one of them triggers, uh, it's like a veto. Huh? If there's one single veto, it's already out. There's, there's no need to go any further, because if you want to, and I'm trying to specialize really on unicorns, if you want to build a unicorn, then uh, all the stars have to be lined up in the right position, not not, not just a few.
1: <laughs> and it, it appears to me that you have uh, found a quite a good um, process because just please just mention some of the unicorns that you've been part of. Yeah. You have a great, you have a great radar. <laughs> so, yeah, I got
0: very lucky. I, I made, um, you know, five investments per year for 20 years. So I made um, a bit over a hundred investments and, um, I'm pretty sure I'm, i already have 10 unicorns in my portfolio. Um, actually 11, one of them is not public yet. Mm-hmm. And I think by the end of the year, it's going to be 12 because both of those are going to be public. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: amazing. So, and, um, let's switch from the, um, not to do list, so to speak. Uh, just now we talked about what you don't want to see mm-hmm. and what is it that you do want to see, um, or, is, or um, maybe before do you look at the business or the, the founder, the vision or all of it, and what do you want to see in those categories?
0: Okay, so I, I always look at the founders. That's, that's you know, 70% of, 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 the, of the deal. Uh, I want to see founders with uh, sparkly eyes that have a vision, that have a passion, that want to make the world a better place, mm-hmm. and, and that have one single point in the world that they want to fix. Yeah. And uh, and this is what triggers me. Mm-hmm. And only then after that, I'll, I'll check if, you know, if, if this idea makes any sense at all or not. Mm-hmm. But but the first trigger is always to see the passion and, and somebody that wants to make
1: the world better. Mm-hmm. And uh, combined with a extraordinary focus on one issue that they want to solve. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Absolutely. Because just wanting to make the world better um, <laughs> There's so many things you can fix, from uh, from picking up a piece of paper on the road to uh, uh, to trying to fix uh, the CO two problem or the climate problem.
1: So, but then you'll never finish. I mean, (laughs) and um, uh, on the business aspect, what kind of categories are you mostly interested in? Uh, I mean, hot topics are um, artificial intelligence, etc. Is that something that you look at, or do you have other? So,
0: I, I, in general, um, there is no limitations on topics. I I, I I'm pretty topic agnostic, uh, in theory. Uh, in practice, um, there is topics I can you know I know better. There is, um, I know, you know, technology. I know internet. I know everything that has to do with engineering. Um, so it makes it easier for me to, to judge. Uh, payments is one of them. Um, but uh, and and the second thing is that I would say I, I like to have uh, the winds pushing you. So that means if there is certain subjects that are hot. Uh, And and you just mentioned artificial intelligence or, you know, a few years ago it was green tech or fintech or whatever those buzzwords are, Um, it makes life easier. It makes it easier to find partners. It makes it easier to find employees. It makes it, everything is easier if you're operating in a field where the usually newspapers are, you know, pushing the hype up. And, and then um, I'm not, you know, I'm, <laughs> I can't change the wind. So I'm, I'm also then uh, trying to
1: operate in, in those fields. Um, just on a little side note, um, if I remember correctly, there's been a couple of years in your life where you've been a surfing teacher in Hawaii. <laughs> Is that right? I was a, yeah, a windsurfing instructor in Hawaii before I started my uh, business career. <laughs> and um, something that I find interesting, I always love to think in metaphors, um, would you say there's there are parallels between surfing and investing I, I come to that point because <laughs> you say like um, it's somehow riding the wave riding the right wave uh, would you say there are parallels?
0: Well like I said yeah you, you catch a wave you ride a wave and and, and you, you you are um, um, if you catch the right wave it will take you much further along than if you don't uh but uh on the other hand i don't um uh, very often i think those are totally i can't really understand when people suddenly talk all about fintech mm-hmm. i mean i've been you know investing in in payment systems uh, 10 years before fintech became a term mm-hmm. uh, uh and and i never really realized what fintech is so for me it, it, it just Shows me, okay, that's an additional factor that makes this company, makes it easier for the company, but it's
1: it's not a big factor. I think it's a small factor. And metaphorically speaking, I would say that means uh, as an investor, you, you can't uh, just stand at the beach and look out to the sea and look for a wave. You have to be in the water and keep pedaling, <laughs> try out many waves, and then suddenly you, you will be prepared when the right wave comes. Absolutely. That's a very
0: nice metaphor. I might use that. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I think my my biggest secret really is that I'm looking at the waves all the time, meaning that I read, you know, two, three, four hours a day blogs and... and uh, and PR and uh, Facebook and Twitter and other feeds to know a little bit what, what is the uh, sort to say what, what is the normal height of the wave so that when a big one comes I can catch it exactly.
1: Okay. And now that you've brought it up, you you read a lot, you inform yourself um, uh, very um, deeply daily. It's um it's actually your core part of your business, and um, that's why I would like to tap into that knowledge and that wisdom in, um, what to read, what to listen to, look at. Uh, so, um, uh, what do you just start with, um, with, uh, nowadays, what do you like reading and why? So
0: <laughs> usually my day starts by reading emails, business plans, and then I go into business plans and, uh, uh, and in those business plans, they try to explain me some kind of a environment. And then I go into what is that environment about? What are the competitors doing? Um, so, so I branch off, if you want, uh, out of business plans. That's one thing. The other thing is I, uh, religiously read some uh, blogs like TechCrunch and, uh, Kurzweil, Diamandis, uh, a few of those guys. Um, I also curate my Facebook feed and, uh, and, and really try to have the, uh, you know, the opinion leaders and, and, the, and the pre uh, in this feed, Twitter
1: and Facebook. And who are some of those you mentioned Kurzweil or there others that you, um, get in your Facebook and Twitter feed? Yeah, currently
0: I have a lot of uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency guys in my feeds, mm-hmm. which is really funny because I had them in my feeds for the last four years. Mm-hmm. Those are not well-known names and usually people with... Um, Big beards and even bigger glasses <laughs> <laughs> with strange hobbies. But lately, they all fly uh, jets and helicopters <laughs> to, their, to, to
1: their conferences and buy so, uh, big houses. And <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, these are some hints you can't miss. Also.
0: Absolutely. My Facebook feed has
1: become crazy in the last three months. <laughs> <laughs> Many heli- helicopters and villas. Exactly. Popping exactly. Up. And, um, uh, looking back in, in hindsight, uh, you've read so many books and articles and everything. Um, have there been, um, either blogs, websites, or particular books or magazines that, um, stood out? Would you say in hindsight, there are, let's say, a handful of books or material that everybody should read? Um,
0: ah uh, that's difficult that's a difficult question I read the hard drive of Bill Gates um that certainly influenced me um Peter Thiel we mentioned before zero to one, zero to one. um the book of the Virgin uh, Branson. Richard Branson Richard Branson was uh, certainly interesting Frustrating even when he realized what he did everything
1: already before he was even 40. <laughs> 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 and and what, what do you, th- do you think there is um, a secret sauce to Richard Branson? Um, why was he so um, successful?
0: I don't think so. Just, uh, a, a good entrepreneur mm-hmm. at the right place mm-hmm. and, uh, a very winning personality. Uh, just a good guy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, other books that I think are notable uh, right now is uh, uh, "Startup Nation" from Paul Singer, uh, "Technion Nation" that came after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yuval Harari, uh, "Homo Sapiens,"
1: That's very an nice book right now. Book. He also has a follow-up, Homo Deus uh, Absolutely, and- yeah. But I, I like Homo sapiens more than Homo Deus. Yeah,
0: me too, actually. Uh, <clears throat> um, so, but I have to say I, I don't read that many books anymore because I'm so overwhelmed to keep up with my daily lecture. Oh, did I mention TechCrunch? TechCrunch Tech yeah, almost Tech read uh, the religiously. Yeah. <laughs> um, then now there's a lot of um, uh, home automation logs um, blogs that I read um those are more like private people i mean there are not, not not yet very professional blogs um, but, but uh, i think that's
1: an area that will have a lot of things going on in the next three four years i think after the conversation i will try to follow up with you so that you can send me some links and i will add them to oh sure to the podcast episode so that people can look at them sure um another book i would like to add is a or some, a book that has been very influential for me or eye-opening has been um, The Inevitable by Kevin Kelly. Have you heard about that? Never heard about that. Um, Kevin Kelly is the uh, co-founder of Wired magazine mm-hmm. and a very interesting guy. And in this book, The Inevitable, he has described like the 12 um, dominating forces in technology that will shape the future. And it's a very interesting read. Very, um, uh, I can highly recommend it i will read that (laughs) and um uh maybe if we if we uh from those books or materials from the content that you've been exposed to is there some that you would um also like recommend um uh, for every teacher or school to to get it into the um, curriculum so something that is crucial to (laughs) To our future, our children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't get me started with schools. Now that I have children, I start to uh, have a little glimpse into what school life is about here. And I think schools are totally, totally, totally broken. Mm -hmm. They need to be completely reinvented. Mm -hmm. And it will happen super fast. World Economic Forum says the largest company uh, in the next 10 years will be an education company and and i really believe that so I, I think um you know it's going to be 180 degrees different you know kids uh, and anybody who wants to learn will be able to learn uh, at home at his own pace with his own teacher that will be the best teacher in the world uh, and it will be a, a video feed that you can stop anytime you need to have a rest or a coffee or whatever mm-hmm. and then continue at your in, in your speed that is perfect for your um current abilities uh instead of being in a school where you have to you know follow the speed of the school no matter if you're sick or mm-hmm. on holiday or you're somebody in your family just died uh, and then uh um 80 degrees different because you're gonna do all that at home rather than in school and then you will go to school to do what you currently do at home your homework mm-hmm. so you go to school to to do the uh, applications of what you learned mm-hmm. and then have a teacher help you to, to do that work or, or community of, of students that, that, you know, you'll try to solve it together with other people. Mm-hmm. So it will be exactly the opposite of what we do today. And, and, and this change is, you know, should be happening yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> because every day you learn the way we learn today is a lost day, mm-hmm. pretty much. So, um, so I can't wait to, uh, to be part of, of breaking, but uh, haven't seen uh, not across my table enough startups in this uh, in this uh, region.
1: Okay, I would say that is a shout out to everybody who um, <laughs> is trying to revolutionize education. Absolutely. Um, uh, just from your personal life, you have now uh, you said you have uh, kids in school. Uh, when there are the these evenings where the parents go to school, talk to the teachers. Um, do you give them? Like advice or your opinion, in the sense of, um, as long as the revolution isn't happening, we can make some incremental change. Or do you <laughs> say um, F word that <laughs> and just um, start a revolution right away?
0: No, of course it's a lost cause. I mean, we have uh, great, uh, great, nice teachers, uh, especially around here, that, that do their very best. But of course, there are in in the wrong system Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can't do incremental changes in in this system that makes no sense at all. You really need to change the system from the bottom up and and, and create new schools and probably from scratch. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been discussing these issues with the guys even at Harvard already. What is that? About eight years ago, <laughs> and and there still isn't clear how to solve it. Not even for such bright
1: guys like in Harvard. <laughs> That's impressive. Yeah. It's, um, what, what you've described, I would say, I, one could summarize that the education we know from today is based on mass production and making uh, the, the school kids fit for for the industrial age. But now we are in the um, knowledge, information, creativity age, where we where we need much more individualization and personalization—is that uh, um, like the big that, shift that is
0: happening? Yeah, that's one of them. That's one of them. Uh, but I mean, the education we have today is trying to get everybody to a certain level, mm-hmm. uh, and and that, so especially a certain know-how level. Mm-hmm. So they know, uh, you know, this amount of facts in mathematics, in languages, in whatever field. And, and, and uh, the thing is, like uh, Einstein already said, education is not uh, and that really now becomes true. Education is, is not anymore about learning facts, it's about learning how to learn. Yeah. And and, and, and and this part we need to to do a lot more, especially because now facts are worth nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, you, you get all the facts in Google within seconds. Yeah. And, and you potentially know more than your doctor, lawyer, whatever, uh, if you have a computer with Google and he doesn't uh, on, a, on a specific subject. So you really need to learn skills and not, not facts.
1: That's actually one of the um, uh, major observations of Kevin Kelly in his book, that it's um, less about um, delivering answers, but more about finding the right questions to ask, because um, the answers you will get anyway. Today it might be Google, tomorrow it might be a, um, a super intelligence, but there will always be that um, uh, question that will guide you to whatever you want to know. And um, uh, you took it to, to one of the uh, aspects or chapters that I want to talk to you about, which is um, uh, let's just kickstart this new topic with a question. Um, when you hear the term... Future proof, being future proof, becoming future proof. What comes to mind?
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I have to think about hairdressers. You always will need hairdressers, <laughs> <laughs> no matter <laughs> how the future looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't. <laughs> I,
1: I don't understand the question really. I guess I, I don't know what you mean by future proof. Sure. <laughs> um, I would say um, one direction I would like to take it towards is that you already said, um, it's not about knowing facts, but learning how to learn. Um, and with what I want to talk about with this term future proof in mind is um, nothing is as certain as constant change. And so um, what we learn today might be useless tomorrow, if, when we uh, just learn superficial knowledge. So we have to dig deeper and get to some um, like timeless principles that help us adapt and become future-proof in a sense that we become um, able to adapt to change, which will accelerate uh, with every day uh, that passes. So with that context, um, uh, can you think of mindsets, principles (laughs) that help you navigate the future of constant change? Yeah, well, I think you have to be open
0: to try everything that's new. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really very uh, uh, amazed about, you know, how the kids are using technology today in a way that I am um, that I can't even uh, even if that's my profession, I use a lot of technology wherever I can. Um, my kids at the age of six can already Operate some technologies better than, than I can, or, or or come up with different ideas than I would, and 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 uh, I think it's just very important to always uh, let them think out of the box and and let them try completely different ways that that you would
1: have never thought about. It kind of changes the um, the idea of. Uh, being an expert or being a teacher is always the oldest person in the room who has the most experience. <laughs> but what you are saying is actually those without experience or those new to a subject, they might be equally equipped or even more equipped to, um, to show you uh, solutions yeah. or to deal with news. Or maybe
0: their experience is that uh, there can be some totally different uh, solutions that nobody has thought about so far. And that's their experience, and that's why they're willing to try some, some crazy uh, new stuff. Huh?
1: They're not afraid to be called like um, crazy or stupid. They just they just do. Absolutely, and and they're really. I mean, the other day, yesterday, I
0: drove with my son uh, in my car, and I tried to show him a, a video on my phone, and, and there was no sound. And and I tried to get the sound up and it just didn't work. And then my son, my eight-year-old son tells me, Yeah, you you know, don't try on the phone, you should try to put up the sound on your car, mm-hmm. which I first thought was totally stupid. But then I realized my phone had connected by Bluetooth to the car without me noticing it. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually was exactly what I needed to do. <laughs> I just
1: never experienced it before. <laughs> That's a perfect example. And um, so we said openness to uh, different approaches, wherever they come from. Um, is there some something else? Learning to learn? has been another.
0: Um, no, well, thinking exponentially. Thinking exponentially. Uh, that, that's, that's something that um, we humans cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a famous venture capitalist who shows uh, always Sorry. the uh, the slides uh, of when McKinsey or some other big, uh, companies were uh, giving out the numbers on what they thought next year's cell phone, um, market will look like. And, and, and next year's cell phone market in the, in the 90s was always like, you know, between 7 and 15 percent more than the year before. So their predictions were always, next year we're going to have, you know, 10, 12, 7% more cell phones sold than the yeah. year before. And the reality was, every time they were 100% wrong, because it was 100% more mm-hmm. year over year. But then the next year they said again, uh, well, we had 100% last year, but next year it's going to be plus 10%. Mm-hmm. They could never imagine that it's going to be 100% every year. Yeah. And, 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 and that's... That, that's what we have a big, big problem with. To imagine, um, and, and people cannot imagine that whatever we discovered in medicine in the last 100 years, we're gonna discover more and change more in the next 10 years. Yeah. And, and, and that's absolutely impossible for, I would say, 90% of the human race to yeah. imagine that. Yeah. And, and it's uh, very, very difficult even for me uh, to imagine that I have to work on it every day to you know open my thinking and, and imagine how it's going to look like in 10 years or how fast autonomous cars are going to take over cities and, and autonomous drones are overtaking
1: deliveries and, and stuff like this. So um, maybe one could say that we always work with assumptions, right? So you, um, uh, a takeaway tip could be for this situation, um, do an exercise like what if... Um, exponential growth would happen and then just uh, work with those assumptions. Um, what if um, autonomous cars are in our cities in two years already, instead of 15 or is that, is that um, uh, yeah. how do you train yeah. yourself? Yeah. To- it's, it's very difficult.
0: I, I very often have discussions with, you know, with groups of, of like in a jury lately, <laughs> I was in a jury for, um, for uh, some startups. And then we talked about autonomous cars and we all agreed that autonomous cars are going to come, you know, one guy said five years, the other guy said 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but we all agreed, you know, in the next 10 years, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then a half an hour later, there's a startup that um, wants to digitalize parking spots. And then I'm looking in the round and say, well, guys, if if we have you know autonomous cars in 10 years, what do we need parking spots for? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And this connection doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. Then you go back to this is the business case. This is how the last year's performance or this year's performance is in the next five years, how they're going to perform. And then in seven years, we're going to do an exit. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, we're not going to do an exit in seven years, because in seven years, then it's going to be clear
1: that we are in the autonomous car age and nobody will need parking spots. So it's really groundbreaking, uh, thinking that you, um, put every assumption into question that we operate with today or on a daily basis. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, maybe, an, um, another, uh, source for inspiration, how to be, um, uh, future proof. Uh, um, can you think of like common, um, uh, themes that the entrepreneurs have that you work with, that you invest in, you said the founders are 70% of like uh, why you invest in, in a project. Um, do they have similarities that you say um, uh, make them uh, uh, more likely to be successful in the future?
0: Well, uh, they have a passion. They're totally motivated by changing the world. They are, um, they are usually, um, uh, very team friendly. So they have usually uh long lasting, uh, and, and very good friendships, uh, that they also, uh, nourish and cherish. Um, and and uh, they usually are workaholics <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's on top of my mind but uh of course it's there are totally different people at the end of the day
1: <laughs> yeah and um uh it appears to me that those all are things that you can't actually learn you can't learn passion you um uh is, is there something that people can can learn or um train to become more fit for the future.
0: Yeah I think that's very very difficult. That's probably something that you um, that you see from your your parents maybe uh, when they are passionate about something or your teacher when they are passionate about something but uh, I, I wouldn't know how you can really learn that or teach that mm-hmm. um, except by example maybe yeah. but uh, but I think everybody has to you know find his own passion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And is it, um, uh, you've, you've been active in, in many different environments geographically, um, but also professionally with surfing and being in Hawaii, being in Israel, Switzerland, uh, the States, um, have you noticed, um, environments where, um, which are like, um, uh, passion friendlier, or have you discovered like factors that, um, are passion friendlier, and fact is that, um, like, uh yeah, of course,
0: of course. I mean, in the Middle East, you you, you see people are much more passionate than they would be, uh, um, like, let's say, in, in in Switzerland or in cold countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's part of the culture as well, eh? and, uh, especially in the hot countries. People are more passionate about things. Mm-hmm than in the cold countries I, I, I feel, but I, I, really, I don't know that for a fact. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, a gut feeling is worth, <laughs> worth a lot, I would say, with your experience. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And then, of course, there's also this uh, thing about celebrating uh, successes and, 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 and the way people look at uh, failures and, and the way people look at, uh, at success. Mm-hmm. Totally different mentalities in, in the US, in
1: Israel, in Brazil versus uh, in Europe. Mm-hmm. So, um, how would you summarize um, the, the mindset in Europe compared to the other places you just mentioned? Um, well, in Europe,
0: it's uh, before you put out your grand visions, <laughs> you make sure that you can, you know, you, you have a proof of every fact uh and 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 uh so you're going to be much more people are much more um vorsichtig as you say that much more cautious. cautious um versus uh i would say americans would would tell their grand visions uh, after uh, 10 minutes after they had the idea without fact checking if it's possible and uh and and, and israelis would uh, would yeah they have even a different mentality as well and and uh, and especially also uh much more both of them Israelis and Americans. Israelis are extreme. Well, I mean, a good CEO is is uh, needs to have at least two or three failures under his belt before he can be a good CEO. Yep. Uh, whereas in Europe, it w- it will be the opposite. Somebody that had three failures is uh, pretty much done. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never
1: make it exactly. <laughs> and is there? Um, that's one of these um, like. Common themes that you hear all over the place. And uh, so often that, um, the way you approach failure is very critical to, um, uh, how you approach business or how you, um, ideate and everything. So um, would you, um, have you, um, uh, tips or, um, ideas um, for yourself, how one should approach failure?
0: Well, I think you should you know fail fast, fail often fail fast, so you should really uh try to encourage people to to go full steam uh, in their ideas so if it if it becomes a failure, then they'll you know found out fast and can go on to the next thing mm-hmm. instead of losing three years. Mm-hmm. maybe they can you know find out in
1: three months, yeah. <clears throat> And that would um that would mean that you shouldn't go like for the perfect product or the fully fledged por- product from the start, but um more like have a experiment and prototype approach to to building a business absolutely okay. absolutely that's one of the uh
0: things I always liked about uh, facebook they uh, have on their on their walls they have uh done is better than perfect exactly focus on
1: impact (laughs) exactly uh, hack everything yeah (laughs) and um yeah move fast break things it's been one of their first mottos i think they've now changed it to um move fast with uh, stable infrastructure or something like that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember it correctly because it's less catchy than the first one, but they've changed it. Uh, uh, they uh, can't afford to, to crash anymore. Exactly. Um, yeah.
0: the, too many people's <laughs> lives are on this uh, Facebook yeah, lifeline e- nowadays. Even yours
1: or the two of us. We, <laughs> I also have a curated Facebook feed and I'm very happy t- uh, to have it because it um, uh, serves me with very interesting information. I've um, actually just been to Silicon Valley and San Francisco and everything, and I came home with a um, with thought that um, uh, Americans or Israelis, they might be great to, um, to get an idea started, to have great visions, and the Europeans should let them do that and come into play as soon as a product or service has become more mature when you can start becoming skeptical and analyze and everything. So, like, um, uh, just that you don't destroy an idea when it's um, little and yet unproven. Uh, Would you say that makes kind of sense, broadly speaking, that uh, Europeans are just too skeptical instead of um, constructive or visionary? Yeah, that might be. I don't really know. The problem
0: with that is if we uh, if we let the Israelis and the Americans do all the uh, Googles and Facebooks and Microsofts of this world, then uh, where are our jobs? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we, I, I really think we urgently need to have some of those uh, wins to uh, to keep
1: some jobs in Europe. Where would you say is Europe um, or Switzerland? Um, uh um, uh, well-equipped or positioned to, to make such a big win or to actually achieve a moonshot or just get an oh, so. <laughs> I've been trying to talk to the
0: politicians for a while now on, uh, on the incredible um, chance that we have with the crypto valley mm-hmm. with all the ICOs the initial coin offerings with uh, you know Ethereum and and, and, and all these people uh, Bitcoin and everything that, that is happening in Switzerland and um, and, and we, we could become the world's know-how center for uh, cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. um, so th- that's where I see we have a huge huge uh, opportunity mm-hmm. uh, that
1: we should try to grab. And um, you said politicians are one important aspect to get the, um, like the circumstances uh, right. Um, is there something else that needs to be done? Or Obviously, there's a <laughs> well, <laughs> more that needs to be done. But where do you, what are like the major milestones to, to get to that? So, so what we
0: need to do is, is, is um, you know, not block it. That's all. We need, <laughs> we need to be very open and, and not block it. Uh, Right now, it's absolutely impossible to open an account if you are a company that deals with Bitcoin, no matter what you do. You can't open a bank account at all. Mm -hmm. So we should really try to not block it. We don't need any, you know, uh, legislations that pushes it. That would be wrong too, but we just just make sure that we
1: don't block it. <laughs> and where are the like so, the roadblocks? Do they come from the traditional players in the financial industry, or from politics, or both? Yeah, are both.
0: It? I would say both. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, banks don't want to listen, and politicians don't want to listen either. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <Okay. laughs>
1: that's something that um I uh, I found very interesting. Uh, I went to Silicon Valley to see what is there, but then when I came home, I realized it's as also is interesting to see what is not there, what you don't notice. And what I mean by that is politics. You don't, uh, when I was there in all these accelerators and everything, not once um, people complained about, well, the politicians um, uh, don't help us with um, promoting anything or with um, uh, setting the right circumstances. Um, Is that because over there, everything is uh, is like um, a great playing field, or is that just another mentality that we in Europe are more keen to uh, look for the politicians or government to fix it? Or how? <laughs> um, uh, I really
0: don't know enough uh, about politics in the US or in Israel. I just realize that I mean, especially in Israel, uh, there is uh, the politicians. They really go out of the way to help uh, startups and venture capital industry, and of course, I mean, uh, Shimon Peres' son is one of the biggest venture capitalists. That helps uh, uh, in Israel. Uh, the uh, mayor of Jerusalem is uh, the uh, ex CEO founder of Checkpoint, one of the biggest startups Israel ever had uh, in in security. So it, it looks like the the the. Uh, political community and the, and the startup venture capital community do interact a lot, a lot more than than is the case here. Mm-hmm. Here, it's really uh, very rarely that politicians meet startupers and the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's getting much, much better now in the last few years, but it's still, it's, it's not the normal way.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think we can slowly come to a conclusion. You've uh, spent a lot of time uh uh, with me for the Sparkle Podcast. I appreciate that a lot. Um, we've talked about many things, covered many topics. Is there um, maybe a finishing thought or um, uh, idea that you would like to, to get out um, to, to the listeners? Well, if there's one thing I could ask for is really let's make Switzerland the crypto capital of the world. (laughs) Excellent. I would say that is a good mission statement and many people are very eager to make that happen. And um, uh, where can people find you online? So
0: online, um, I do have a website, Um, gutenberg.ch. You can uh you know connect me on linkedin or on uh, on facebook but i usually will only accept connections if if i know somebody Mm -hmm. um but you can i think you can always follow uh, my feeds on facebook and that's where i usually um you know spread out the most uh, ideas is on facebook perfect
1: thank you very much thank you and have a great day thank you you too Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope this far-reaching conversation with investor Daniel Gutenberg has been as exciting for you as it has been for me. I had a great time catching up with Daniel and talk about his mindsets and views about the future. Please feel free to check out other episodes of the Sparker podcast, where I talk to outstanding people and organizations with the goal to make their insights and wisdom available to us all you find all the episodes on my blog sparker.ch slash blog. That is sparkr.ch/blog. And you can also subscribe on iTunes and always get the latest episodes like the one I've been talking to Timo from Facebook about company culture as the ultimate performance hack, or the one where I talked to Jennifer from Apple about the power of storytelling. And with all of that out of the way, you all have an amazing day. Stay sharp and curious and we'll see each other again on the next Sparker podcast episode.